Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Birth Lounge Podcast. All right, you guys, we're on the topic of healthy hormones. We're on the topic of getting in control of our hormones, balancing them out, and really taking control of, well, our hormones and possibly even our fertility. Earlier this week, we talked about the impacts of coffee and caffeine on our hormones. And today, we're going to be talking about your blood sugar and your hormones. I had not ever really thought about blood sugars. I'd never really thought about having too high blood sugars or too low blood sugars or the role that your blood sugar plays in your body and specifically for your fertility. So this was such an interesting conversation. You're going to hear me have like actual learning moments where I go, OMG, I cannot believe this. This is brand new information to me. This is a very, very cool episode. I'm so excited to have Becca on the show. She is a licensed dietitian nutritionist and a certified nutrition specialist and the founder of Little Life Nutrition. She specializes in focusing on how to address infertility for people through their nutrition and diet. In today's episode, we're going to talk about things like what are the risks of having high blood sugar and what are the risks of having low blood sugar? Are there carbs that are better than others to eat in order to support your blood sugars? Are carbs ruining our blood sugars? Are there foods that we should either prioritize or avoid because of our blood sugar? And how do you know if you have blood sugar dysregulation? What are those signs and symptoms? What would that look like? How would that be manifesting in your body? One of the things that I found fascinating was that irritability and mood swings, essentially like being hangry, is associated with your blood sugar dropping. And I just, I don't know. I never thought about that. That was new information to me. And for me, that is just wild. Um, Since recording this episode, every time I have felt myself being irritable, I've really checked in and been like, wait, am I hungry? And do you Do you know how many times the answer is yes? Like two thirds of the time. Um, It is almost always, I'm like, wait, I'm in a, I'm in a, you know, and I call it like a cactus mode because you're kind of prickly. You're like a little sensitive, maybe a little snippy, like, ouch, wow, whoa, crazy. Um, That is cactus mode in our house. And every time, well, not every time, but a lot of the times that I enter cactus mode, I'm like, wait, 
I'm just hungry. So you guys, this is a fantastic conversation about your fertility and the foods that you're putting in your body and how we can really dial in to understand what your specific body needs and then how are you going to achieve that through food, specifically your blood sugar. It matters so much when you are trying to conceive. So I cannot wait to dive into this conversation. All right, you guys, without further ado, Becca, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm very, very excited to be talking about this topic today. So I think a a lot of people probably understand that blood sugar is important. I wonder how many people actually understand what your blood sugar is truly doing in your body. I know that's something that my education around is very shallow. I don't know too much about it. I'm one of those people who I've heard it in the doctor's office. We know that it's important to maintain your blood sugar. We know that we shouldn't get it too high or too low. But as far as like the true science behind it, can we kind of start there? I think that's a great place to open this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question to understand a little bit more about like, why is blood sugar important? And why do we not want it to be too high? Why do we not want it to be too low? Things like that. And how does that relate to to your fertility? So it's important to understand like what blood sugar is, right? It's necessary for us to be alive, to have a you know, a certain level of blood sugar. So we're always going to have sugar floating through our blood at all times. We don't want it to be too high, too low, like we mentioned. But I would say it's a little, it's a little bit more rare for us to see that like low blood sugar. It is possible, but I think we tend to be a little bit more concerned about that high blood sugar. So we can kind of start there. But what can happen with high blood sugar is if we have too much carbohydrate in a certain meal, that can cause a little bit of a high blood sugar and can cause swings in your blood sugar. And it also causes the release of a hormone called insulin. And we might have all heard of that hormone insulin too, but maybe not truly understand what that does. And it kind of comes down to insulin when we're talking about fertility, because high levels of that hormone insulin can be disruptive there. So when we eat a high carbohydrate meal or a high sugar meal, it doesn't have to be just sugar, like having desserts or things like that. It can be a high carbohydrate meal. So it can be, you know, eating lots of bread or things of that nature that are a little bit higher in carbohydrates. And I do want to preface that by saying, we need carbohydrates and we don't want to, you know, keep carbohydrates out of our diet. Um, but we do, we do want to be cautious of the types of carbohydrates we're eating and how we're balancing that out with the rest of our meals. So when we eat a high carbohydrate, high or high sugar meal, that causes the level of your blood sugar to go up. And in response to that, that blood sugar going up, your body, Um, produces or releases a hormone called insulin, which helps to bring your blood sugar back down. And so we can kind of think of like a lock and key mechanism. Insulin will help to push um, blood sugar into your cells to make sure it gets into the cells. So it opens up the door for that sugar to get into your cells so we can keep the blood sugar level stable. And so the more sugar that is the more sugar that you're taking in, the more insulin your body is releasing and high levels of insulin can cause inflammation and hormone imbalances and and things of that nature. Does that help to 
to understand a little bit more about insulin and blood sugar? Yeah. How about low blood sugar? So we talked about the high blood sugar. What about the opposite end of the spectrum? Absolutely. So low blood sugar is opposite and typically can be caused by not eating often enough or not eating enough carbohydrate in your meal. So low blood sugar symptoms can normally be like dizziness, fatigue, things of that nature. And typically it's caused by not eating enough, or sometimes we can have those swings. If we do have a high blood sugar swing, it's kind of like a roller coaster effect. So when you have a really high meal, sometimes you'll just, or a high, um, high carbohydrate meal or high sugar meal, you'll, your blood sugar will go really high and then you'll come crashing down. Like if you're on a roller coaster, it will sometimes dip below what your original baseline was. And that can cause a low blood sugar and kind of cause some of those cravings for more to help, you know, that's that your signal, your body signal to say, we need more glucose, more energy, more carbohydrate to get you back up to that state where your body feels most safe. But typically it's caused by not eating often enough. So we cause, we see that like dip in blood sugar as well. Okay. And a lot of this comes back to carbs that you're eating. So are there better carbs than others in supporting your blood sugar that we should be kind of prioritizing if we're going to have carbs or when we have carbs? I agree too. Just like overall, I agree. We need carbs. Like don't don't go on a, a no carb diet, especially if you are pregnant, you need carbs to be able to, you know, have a healthy pregnancy and, and even people who are trying to conceive in your fertility journey. But what carbs should we be prioritizing? Absolutely. Yeah. I love, I love that you mentioned that because it's not about like demonizing one type of food. It's just about trying to understand what causes these things and how we balance things out. But there are definitely different types of carbs that are better than others. So typically we want to think about, we maybe heard the term refined carbohydrate or processed carbohydrate, which typically refers to things that come in packages. And so how I like to describe it is when you think about foods, you can think about it in how did this get to my plate? And so if you have, I like to give the example of a sweet potato, which is a carbohydrate and it's a high carbohydrate food, but it's a, it's more of a whole food, right? So you can kind of picture your farmer taking the sweet potato out of the ground and putting it on the truck and sending it off to your grocery store versus let's say a muffin, right? Where it's a little bit harder to visualize how that muffin, maybe it came in a package, how it got to your plate. It's not really in that whole food form. It's using sugar and refined flour and things like that to to be made and to get to your plate. It's a little harder to visualize how that food got to your plate. So that's what we would call more of like a processed carbohydrate. So really anything that comes in a package has a long ingredients list is going to be more of a refined or processed carbohydrate. And not everything that comes in a package is super refined, but that's more of a generalization. But if it's hard for you to visualize how that food got to your plate, like a Cheez-It or something like that, right? It's not really close to nature. That's more of a refined carbohydrate. So we want to focus those. So those refined carbohydrates versus those whole food carbohydrates are going to be less optimal for, for our health. And we really want to think about trying to incorporate more whole food carbohydrates versus those processed carbohydrates. So more examples of whole food carbohydrates would be fruit, potatoes, sweet potatoes, squash, rice, beans, things of that nature over things like crackers and cookies and 
muffins and and some breads and, and things of that nature. Yeah, that's super helpful to know. I think, you know, I think a lot of people associate sugar intake with like fruits or juices or candies, things that, you know, obviously have sugar in them, but a lot of people don't realize that carbs are a lot of times what do it. We do need to be intentional with their intake. Okay. So if someone's out there thinking, gee, that could be me, whether they don't eat uh, often enough or they often have carb heavy meals, maybe even late at night and they wake up nauseous during the night. If someone's out there being like, wow, this could be me. What are some signs that you might be struggling with blood sugar dysregulation? I know you had already mentioned some for low blood sugar dizziness and that Mm -hmm. nausea and high blood sugar is that big crash. But are there other signs that people may need to tune into that maybe can them that they have this? Absolutely. There are many different signs. And I would say the big one is that feeling of being hangry. We all know that feeling, right? You know, you're just really, really hungry. Maybe you haven't eaten in a while and you have that kind of like mood swing that's more associated with needing to eat. That can be a sign of maybe like that blood sugar dropping. And that can be a sign of being maybe more on that roller coaster that we were talking about of that like high and low blood sugar. So that's a big one, kind of like that hangry feeling that we we all know is a big one. And then another, another key one I like to, to mention is a good sign that your um, blood sugar is well-regulated. Is it is if you have a meal and you are you don't feel hungry for about three to four hours afterwards, and a sign that maybe your blood sugar is imbalanced is if you have a meal and you feel hungry pretty immediately after that. So like, let's say you have your breakfast and then an hour later, you're like, gosh, I, I'm hungry again. I feel like I could eat another meal. That could be a sign that your blood sugar could be imbalanced and maybe you didn't necessarily balance out those macros nutrients or what we would say like protein, carbs, and fats are like those three. And we've been talking a lot about carbs, but maybe that your breakfast was a little bit too carbohydrate heavy and you focus too much on the carbohydrates and not enough on the other two, which can help to stabilize your blood sugar. So feeling constantly hungry is a good sign. And then another one could be sugar cravings too, which is interesting because we think about, you know, high carbohydrate intake as causing blood sugar dysregulation, but that being on that roller coaster can lead to craving. So when you have more of that low blood sugar, you have that high blood sugar than the low blood sugar. When you're at that low point, I think I mentioned sometimes your body wants more and it's like, we need more energy. So now that can cause a little bit of a a sugar craving to get that because your body knows that the best way and the fastest way to get your blood sugar back up is going to be to have more sugar. And so cravings can sometimes be more like physiological than we think. A lot of times we're like, oh, you know, I have those sugar cravings and like, I just can't resist. And it's just how I am. Sometimes focusing on balancing your blood sugar can really help with those, those sugar cravings. So those are some signs. Okay, so we've talked about, or I've heard you mention fertility and trying to conceive a couple of times. Talk to us a little bit about what we need to know about the impacts of our blood sugar on our fertility journey or how it may impact people who are trying to conceive. 
Absolutely. So I would say first and foremost, it it goes back to when trying to conceive, you want to think about your egg quality. And so egg quality can be really important. And when we have inflammation in the body, that can impact your egg quality. So something we want to think about is egg quality. And when we do have blood sugar fluctuations, which leads to those higher level of higher levels of insulin that can cause inflammation in the body. And so that can impact your egg quality. So we really want to think about creating stable blood sugar levels to make sure your inflammation levels stay, stay stable, which can in turn impact the quality of your eggs and also the hormone balance in your body. So I mentioned that insulin is a hormone and when insulin is imbalanced and is in concentrations in the body higher than we would like, that can have an impact on your other sex hormones that are necessary for that, like, you know, that delicate dance that is required to, you know, those hormonal fluctuations throughout the month that help you to ovulate and things of that nature. So when we have kind of like that imbalance in hormones, when we have a higher level of insulin that can cause um, other sex hormones to, to be imbalanced as well. So that's kind of how it can impact fertility. So anyone out there who is trying to conceive, but they've never paid attention to their insulin levels and their blood sugar. If any of this sounds like you, it may be worth diving into this or at least asking your provider, finding a provider even that understands how blood sugar might impact your fertility journey. This this is the first time I'm hearing this. So this is wild. This blows my mind. I don't think I've ever thought about how blood sugar can impact your egg quality. But when you think about the endocrine system and its impact on hormones and egg quality, it makes so much sense. I just never have put two and two together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's it's definitely worth it to ask a provider just to even look into this. If you're thinking about conceiving, especially if you're having difficulty conceiving, it's something that maybe gets overlooked a little too often. And I will say it might not be like the exact root cause of why maybe you're experiencing fertility struggles, but it's definitely a a piece of the puzzle and can have a major impact on your your overall fertility. So I would definitely recommend asking your provider to, to get this just looked at just to make sure it's not contributing to any struggles with your fertility. Yeah. Okay. And how often are OBGYNs or IVF doctors going to know about this? Is this something that people can go and expect their doctors to be really well versed on? Or is this going to be something that you might need to seek either alternative support or either supplemental support in this? Yeah, great question. So I would say it depends. It is definitely more common of a, a sign and symptom of the condition called PCOS or polycystic Mm. ovarian syndrome. So if you do have a diagnosis of PCOS, then your OBGYN is more likely to look into this. I would say typically for those who have that PCOS diagnosis, maybe you have more of these signs and symptoms that you're talking to, or you're talking about with, you're talking about this with your OBGYN, they may look into it. But I definitely see that this can be a problem, even with women who don't have PCOS, and we don't even 
we don't look into it because there's not that that diagnosis or the OBGYN may not look into it because there's not the diagnosis of PCOS. So I would say it depends on like how you present. It's pretty common if um, you do have that diagnosis of PCOS for your practitioner to talk to you about um, blood sugar, maybe not to the extent of like maybe talking to a dietitian or nutritionist about this with, but it's, it's mostly addressed in PCOS and not as much in other conditions. Yeah. Okay. So if someone knows that, you know, let's talk about someone who does not have PCOS and they know maybe they don't, they don't do necessarily the things that we're talking about here. They do go maybe hours and hours all day and and not eat. I'm guilty of this. I get deep in work and then I just, I look up and it's four o'clock and I haven't had anything since breakfast that day, right? Or mm. people who are like, oh my God, my main dinner six out of seven nights a week is carbs and garlic bread. And, you know, I eat carbs. For people who have that lifestyle or fall into those categories, me as well, What are the chances that making some tweaks to our diet will be enough to kind of, you know, reverse this? Are there lifestyle things that we need to do in conjunction with these things? And I guess how impactful are these things? Are we going to be able to maybe maybe reverse this completely and get your insulin back in balance? Is that possible? Absolutely. It's absolutely possible. And the choices that you make every day can have a positive or negative impact. And it's not like it it's not like something that's that can't be fixed. Like you said, if you're somebody who doesn't eat till four o'clock or um has has really carb heavy meals all all the time, it's something that is is easily fixed. Easily fixed. I mean, lifestyle changes are hard to to make. So that so hard. be <laughs> the most difficult part. Like if you are somebody who doesn't eat often enough and you're having low blood sugar symptoms or maybe high blood sugar symptoms, if you're having those higher carbohydrate meals, it is very fixable. I think the hardest part is just changing your ways, right? It's like a lot of people know, like when we think about eating healthy, I feel like a lot of people will say, I know what to do. It's just hard to implement, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we know what a healthy diet really is sometimes. Sometimes it can be hard to, to understand exactly what that means specifically, but I think that's the hardest part is trying to to make that change or like having breakfast on a daily basis, things like that. But it is extremely you know, it's extremely possible to to make these changes and have such a positive impact. I will say for women with PCOS, it's a little bit of an uphill battle because it's just a little bit more difficult for those women. Unfortunately, they have a little bit of a difference in hormones and hormones can be hard to change. It can be, it can, can take a while. I would, I like to say nutrition is, is slow medicine and we need to be patient with it. So we need to, you know, stick with those things that we know are healthy habits and, and make sure we don't give up on them because they can, can be extremely helpful after a longer period of time, but it's definitely possible to, to make sure you're fixing this dysregulation in your glucose levels and your insulin levels. I love that you say nutrition is slow medicine. It's like nourishing your body. You're like truly healing your body from the inside out with the foods that you put into it. There are so many examples of 
like ailments, even like skin things, mental health things that can be changed by just tweaks in your diet, right? By just being intentional with what you put in your body. I love that. Okay. Working out is another lifestyle thing that came to my mind. How does this impact our blood sugar? What do we need to be, you know, doing, I guess, eating before versus eating after what you choose to eat? Is there a difference in these things? Just make sure you eat. What do Mm -hmm. we need to know about that? Yeah, great question. With exercise, interestingly enough, exercise can actually cause your blood sugar levels to go up. If let's say you were monitoring your blood sugar, there are like continuous glucose monitors that you can use to like measure your glucose constantly. And people with diabetes will use these things more commonly. So let's say you were constantly measuring your your blood glucose, you might see doing exercise actually causes your blood sugar to go up. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. And it's it's not like a, a major spike or anything like that, but it will sometimes, exercising can release um, energy and cause your your blood sugar levels to go up, but that's, that's a positive thing. So that's just a side note. But um, as far as when it, as far as like eating before exercise or eating after exercise, I would say it's individual and whatever feels good to you. I would say for certain individuals, they say, I could never eat before I exercise. I just don't feel like eating in the morning. And I feel fine when I exercise with on an empty stomach and that's totally fine. And then there are those individuals who will say, you know, if I exercise on, on an empty stomach, it makes me feel nauseous. And so I would say really listen to your body in that way and and time your exercise because exercise is extremely important for an overall healthy body. It's great for your fertility. I would say time your exercise when you're actually going to get it done. So we want to set yourself up for success, right? So if you would never exercise in the afternoon because you feel really exhausted from your day, then we don't necessarily want to set yourself up like that and and try to exercise in the evening if that's not what feels good for you. But I would say to try to always refuel your body after your exercise within an hour or so to have a meal that's high in protein after your meal and and make sure you are refueling after exercise to because you can deplete your blood sugar levels from exercise so if you exercise and wait too long to eat afterwards that can for some people cause cause a little bit of an issue so i'd say the number one rule there would be just to try to make sure you do refuel with something within an hour of, mm-hmm. of exercise for healthy blood sugar levels yeah on the topic of like eating like on a almost timed schedule. One thing that comes to my mind when we talk about blood sugar and nausea is morning sickness. So you guys, if you're out there and you are struggling with morning sickness, think about how often you're eating and what you're eating. A lot of times we will find in our clients and kind of anecdotally women share that if you never let your belly get completely empty, it can really help kind of save off a lot of that morning sickness, that nausea feeling. So a little trick that we love to share is set some almonds or some nut butter or some crackers by your bed so that throughout the night you can set little alarms every two to three hours, even every six hours some people can go and eat something and then your belly never gets completely empty. Some people can even go all the way through the night and just before they get up in the morning, they have a little something. So Give that a try. Okay, Becca, I have a question about our favorite foods. So I'm thinking about all the sweets 
that we all love. Okay. So when we talk about blood sugar, I think a lot of people maybe shy away from this conversation because they're like, I don't want to give up my ice cream at night. I don't want to give up my yogurt in the morning, right? I don't want to give up the things that I love and that are staples kind of in my, you know, diet. What do we need to know about balancing maybe our favorite foods that we know are high in sugar, but also not making food a miserable experience for us? (laughs) Absolutely. I love that question. I think it's so important to talk about this because when we talk about the conversation around carbohydrates and sugar, those things can be demonized. And I'm here to tell you that you do not have to give up your ice cream at night and and the things that you really enjoy. It's just really about structuring your diet to accommodate for those blood sugar swings and make sure you're not just only having carbohydrate, heavy foods, sugar, heavy foods, things like that. So my tip is that you always, let's go back to your ice cream example, right? Like let's say you're somebody who just loves to have a bowl of ice cream every night, but you don't want that blood sugar swing. Maybe you're trying to have a baby and you want to be cautious of that, those blood sugar swings you've been talking about. So what I would suggest is to have your dinner. You want to make sure your dinner is really high in protein. So we're talking about some type of animal protein. I typically recommend well-sourced, some type of fish, some type of chicken, beef, turkey, something along those lines. Even eggs can can work well. Those are more breakfast for breakfast though. For most people, make sure your, your plate is centered around protein to make sure you have a good portion of protein. And the reason why this is, is because protein is a buffer for carbohydrates. And so if you were to eat a carbohydrate heavy meal without any type of protein, let's just say you had that bowl of ice cream for dinner, your blood sugar is going to go really high. But let's say you had your protein-rich dinner first, and then you have your bowl of ice cream. It's like a buffer for, for that blood sugar spike. So the more protein you have in your belly, the you know the, the more blunted that blood sugar spike is going to be. In addition, vegetables are great. So the fiber in vegetables can also be a buffer for that blood sugar spike as well as healthy fat. So we're thinking about things like olive oil, avocados, nuts and seeds, things of that nature. So going back to what I was saying before, when I said we really want to have a balance of those proteins, carbohydrates, and fats, those three macronutrients, those those things are going to be buffers for your blood sugar. So if you have a plate full of, let's say, a big piece of fish with lots of veggies and maybe a little bit of a sweet potato, something like that is a good example of a a well-balanced meal and you have lots of protein and veggies. And then my tip would be don't wait until maybe a few hours after you eat to have your bowl of ice cream. So you want to have your ice cream pretty close to when you finished your dinner because your belly is still going to be full of those pro- that protein, those veggies, those buffers we talked about for that blood sugar spike. So you have that nice, well-rounded meal and then you have your bowl of ice cream, then your blood sugar spike is going to be a lot less than if you were just like, like wait two hours after your meal and then allowed your belly to empty, waited two hours and then had your ice cream. 
and that's probably closer to bed too. So also not, not the best option. So really enjoy your desserts a little bit closer to your meal times. And that's going to help to blood that blood sugar spike. And then my other tip for that is let's say you can't do that. And you, you have your ice cream a little bit after dinner and you're like, Oh, I don't really feel like that. That helped because I had, I like to have my ice cream a little bit after dinner. What I would say is have your ice cream and then go for a walk. So what walking can do or a little bit of light exercise. It doesn't have to be anything intense. I think walking is typically the easiest, but you could, you know, you could do some jumping jacks or whatever it is. But what what the key is, is to make sure you're moving your muscles. So what can happen with blood sugar is when you have higher carbohydrate food or higher sugar food, and then you go and move, move your muscles, your, that blood sugar is going to help be absorbed into your muscles and won't cause as much as of a spike. So when you're moving your muscles, that's when, that's where blood sugar tends to go is sugar is stored in your liver in a smaller quantities and in your muscles. So when you're moving those muscles and, you know, freeing up those, that, that space in your muscles, like we were saying before with exercise, you release that, that sugar when you exercise. And so you have a higher carbohydrate food, and then you go and move your muscles, that sugar is going to be able to be more easily stored in those muscles. So studies will show even like a a short 15 minute walk can reduce your blood sugar spike by like 30% or so. So just going for a little bit of a walk, doing some muscle movement can also help with, with that blood sugar spike. That's awesome. Okay. I didn't know those tricks. I do have a question, just a clarification about like, what is pretty close? So when you say like consume your ice cream pretty close mm. to dinner, are we talking 15 minutes, 30 minutes within an hour, rough estimate? And I understand this will probably be different for everybody, but what a little bit more than pretty close. Yes. Yes. Great question. I would say within 30 minutes or so. Okay. And it will be different for everyone. Everybody has a different kind of like transit time through the gastrointestinal system. Um, but I would suggest within like up to right away, obviously it's totally fine up to like 30, 45 minutes, maybe pushing it a little bit, but 30 minutes about, and typically it takes about two hours for, for your blood sugar to rise and fall. So yeah, if that that's helpful at all, like if you were monitoring your blood sugar, you would typically see your blood sugar, your peak blood sugar about one to two hours after you consume that meal. Cool. Okay. Now I would love to maybe talk through the three meals of the day and you give us some pairings of good proteins and carbs that we might pair together for those individual meals, especially for somebody who's just kind of starting off on this journey. I love that. That's, cool. that's great. Okay. So let's start with the obvious breakfast. Yes. Okay. So breakfast for protein. I mean, really there are so many great options for, for breakfast. And I like to say you don't have to have breakfast food for breakfast anyways, but we'll stick with some breakfast food. So just keep that in mind. You can always have leftovers from dinner or whatever that is, but a Eggs are a classic breakfast food, right? And I will say two eggs typically is not enough protein, which which will surprise some people because that's like the classic, like two eggs, you know, that seems like a good amount of protein. Two eggs is typically going to be about 12 grams of protein. And I would suggest trying to get in 20 to 30 grams of protein at breakfast. So we're missing a little bit there. So two eggs can be a great start to get enough protein at breakfast, but typically 
typically what I would say for your protein would be maybe two eggs and then like three pieces of turkey sausage or something like that. And that's going to get you to be a good amount of protein. And then something like some berries. So like some blueberries, strawberries, or any type of fruit you like an apple, something like that are great carbohydrate to add. And then I would even add, I know you didn't mention fat, but I would even add some type of fat in there. So like maybe some avocado on your eggs and a bonus would be if you could like throw in some spinach in the egg. So like a really great well-rounded breakfast could like look like two eggs, three pieces of turkey sausage with some avocado, almost like you could make an omelet out of that if however you like to structure that with a side of fruit for your carbohydrate nice okay and what about lunch it was really helpful to hear how many grams of protein we should be aiming for at each meal as well Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So lunch, we could also go for some type of of animal protein. I know as we're going along, maybe you get the sense that I I am a big fan of adding animal protein into the diet for fertility. And so we want to go for some type of animal protein. So a great option could be some tuna with you know, mix in some mayo or whatever you like in there, throw in some, I like to throw in some pickles in there for a little bit of flavor, like a little tuna salad. So tuna is a great protein option. So maybe mix in a little tuna salad with some veggies on the side. So like some carrots or celery, things like that. You could even throw in some crackers in there to eat the, to eat the tuna salad with. And I know I mentioned earlier that crackers tend to be more of those processed carbohydrates, but when paired with a high protein meal and some veggies, that could be a great, a great option because we're not just having those carbohydrates on their own or those crackers on their own. So those processed foods can fit in because they're super easy. So I would say doing some, a tuna salad with some crackers and some veggies like carrots and celery on the side could be a great, a great option for lunch. And how many grams of protein should we be aiming to get at lunch? Yeah, I would say around 30 as well. I would say 20, 20 to 30 is good, but I would like on the higher end of that around 30. And I would typically say about 30 per meal is good. And then in snacks, trying to get about like, like if you're doing two snacks a day, trying to get like 10 grams of protein in a snack. So And what are some snacks? A handful of almonds? Yes, absolutely. So handful of almonds could be a great snack. Um, Hard-boiled eggs could be a great snack too. So we mentioned that two hard-boiled eggs is 12 or two eggs is 12 grams of protein. So that could be an amazing snack. I also really like jerky sticks. So I really like like the Chomps brand jerky sticks there. They don't have sugar in them. They're really well sourced. So a jerky, like a turkey jerky stick could be a good part of a snack and adding in some carbohydrates into that snack too could be really great. So let's say like, Um, a jerky stick with an apple and peanut butter could be a great snack or some almonds with two hard-boiled eggs could be a great snack or some hummus and carrots with some type of nut could be a good snack as well. Nice. My mouth is watering. I love this. (laughs) Okay. And then what about dinner? What should we be aiming to have at dinner? Yeah, absolutely. So dinner, let's go to some red meat. So this actually is something that's, I feel like a little controversial. I feel like a lot of people are 
scared of eating red meat, but um, red meat is extremely nutrient dense and it's a a fertility superfood. It is extremely nutrient dense. So I would say don't be scared of red meat. So let's go Let's go Taco Tuesday since it's Tuesday. And I would say incorporate some red meat into your dinner and make sure you're centering a lot of veggies around that. So let's use ground beef as our, our base for, for that taco meat. And I would say go for a grass-fed, a grass-fed version of that. And it's going to be a little bit more nutrient dense. So grass-fed beef for your taco base. Do some whole grain corn tortillas, and then we can throw in some veggies on top of that. So some tomatoes, some chopped romaine lettuce. I really like to do like a a cabbage slaw because cabbage is really nutrient dense and great for our fertility as well. And throwing some veggies on there is a, is a great way to also balance that blood sugar like we've been talking about. So a grass-fed ground beef taco with a cabbage slaw on top, and maybe you could even do an extra side of veggies and some avocado, your favorite toppings, and that would be a great blood sugar balancing dinner. Okay, one thing you didn't mention that I have on all of my tacos are cheese and sour cream. I guess yes, 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 so what about dairy? Is there anything yes. we need to know about dairy and our blood sugar or anything off the top of your head of like dairy and fertility? Good question. I cannot believe I forgot to mention cheese because cheese. I love cheese. <laughs> So dairy is also one of those things that I feel like a lot of people have questions about. So there are people out there that are sensitive to dairy. And if you are one of those people and you know you eat dairy and it upsets your stomach, that is something to to take note of. And, you know, probably not the best idea to be incorporating dairy if it does cause digestive upset or you you just intuitively feel like it's not great for you. However, dairy is a very great nutrient-dense food and great for, for fertility for those of us that don't have a sensitivity to dairy. It can be an extremely fertility-friendly food. And I would say don't, I typically recommend don't go for the low fat dairy, go for the full fat dairy. Fat is extremely important for our hormones and our hormones are actually made from fat or cholesterol. And so we want to have right, the right balance. We don't want to have too much of, you know, too much of a good thing can be a bad thing, but making sure we're getting enough fat in our diet can be extremely helpful for fertility. So I do recommend going for full fat dairy if you are trying to conceive. So whole milk, full fat cheeses, full fat cottage cheese, full fat yogurts, things like that. So dairy can be a great, a great food to incorporate for fertility. If- nice. If it sits well with you. Yeah. Okay. And how many grams of protein are we aiming to get in dinner? Dinner is typically a a little bit, I would say a little bit higher and a little bit easier to get enough protein at at dinner. I think breakfast tends to be the hardest one for people because like common breakfast foods are not as high in protein like oatmeal, pastries, muffins, things like that. But at dinner, I would say somewhere between 30 to 40 grams is a good good aim. So about 10 grams more than, than your other meals. Nice. Okay. This has been so helpful. I feel like I've learned so much. Again, I mean, I started the conversation here, but I mean, blood sugar is something we know is important. We know we need it to live. We know we should keep it within the parameters that are healthy. But I think truly understanding 
its impact kind of longer term or on our hormones and how the things we eat and the things we do. So our our daily activities impact our blood sugar is new to so many people. So this is fascinating, Becca, truly. If somebody wanted to work with you and connect with you and learn more if they thought they were struggling with some blood sugar issues or they just wanted to learn more about something that we said today where can they connect with you and what kind of offers do you have absolutely so my website is littlelifenutrition.com so my practice is called little life nutrition I do take one-on-one clients I work a lot with blood sugar balance and PCOS and many other conditions. I mainly work with women who are planning to get pregnant or struggling to get pregnant. So my practice is Little Life Nutrition, littlelifenutrition.com. I do offer a free one-on-one consultation for 30 minutes to make sure we're a good fit for each other. And so I do work one-on-one with clients. My Instagram is just at Little Life Nutrition. And then on my website as well, I do have a free fertility foundations diet guide. So you can download that on my website and that can give you an idea of a little bit, a little bit more of a a document that goes over some of the things we talked about today, as far as how to structure your plate and what are whole food carbs versus processed carbs, things like that. So you can download that for free on the website. Nice. All right, you guys. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope you are walking away with as much information as I am walking away with today. Check us out over on YouTube. We are Tranquility by Hehe for more information about the birth lounge and more tips to how you can have an informed and confident birth. Otherwise, we will see you next week for another episode of the Birth Lounge Podcast. Bye, y'all. Hey, before you go, actually, let me grab you. I know that we both decided that this year we're going to focus on our hormones and getting them back in order. So I wanted to share a product that I've been loving. It is an organic lube, like lube for sex. You know, um, we have to be very careful what we're putting in our bodies and lubes on the market can have a variety of yucky things that you're not going to want in your downstairs kitty cat. So I wanted to share with you the lube that I've been using and loving. It's Coconu. It's completely organic and you can use it on your body or any toys as well. They also have water-based or oil-based for people who have allergies or preferences. You can check them out at Coconu.com and use the code HEHEHE15. 15, he he 15, to save 15%. Give it a try. I have been loving it. And I can relax knowing that I have the confidence that I'm using clean products, not only on my body, but in my body as well. Okay, well, now I will let you go, but I just wanted to share something that I have been loving, and I know that we were both working on our hormones, and I'm not a gatekeeping girly. So, okay, bye, Bestie. See you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly do value this community and I love hanging out with you. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who might also find this information helpful. I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining The Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. 
You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to the birth lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident.